The question before us this evening is how do we enter into the presence of God? Um, how do we enter into the presence of God? I want to thank you for being here this evening. I know it was an easy day to stay home, wasn't it? I don't know about you, when the rain's pouring and it's, it's wet, it's nasty outside, it just seems like, oh, it'd be so easy to stay in tonight, and many did, but you came, and so thank you for being here. I pray the Lord will bless our time in his word. So Psalm 15, let's just look at it together, then we're going to walk through it. The Bible says, who shall sojourn into your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friends, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Now go back and look at verse 1. <clears throat> who shall sojourn, who shall enter into your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The question says who, but it is really asking what are the qualifications of a man or a woman who is to enter into the presence of God. And he mentions the holy hill. He mentions the, the sanctuary. And, and the picture is, if you go back to the Old Testament, many times us New Testament believers, we miss this. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, you would go to the temple to come into the presence of God. And so they would have three uh, pilgrimages a year where they would come from all over and they would come to Jerusalem to go into the temple. And as they were preparing to go into the temple, they would make sure that they were prepared to enter into God's presence. The place was sacred. It was the, the temple mount. It was where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And then it was where the temple was built. It is the place that God dwells. We talk about being in God's house when we come into church in our day. But in the Old Testament, it really was seen as the house of God that indwells him. And so coming into this, this holy hill, coming into this sanctuary was a very important aspect in the life of Judaism. And so it speaks of coming into God's sanctuary, the preparations that had to take place. Uh, it's not a, a new understanding. We've seen it already through the Psalms. Psalm 5 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Last week we saw in Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 27, verse 4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And lastly, Psalm 61.4 says, Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. There's this picture that ought to be in the life of every child of God that says, Lord, 
I need to be in your presence. One thing I ask for, I want to be in your presence, God. I want to have this communion with you. I want to have this fellowship with you. This is what pushes me. This is what guides me in my life. This is what sustains me. This is what gives me purpose. And so in my life, I must find the means to enter into your presence. And I just wonder this evening, is that a big deal in your life? Is that something you think about as you wake up on a Monday morning? Do you ever just stop and think, Lord, I want to walk with you today. Lord, I want to live today in your presence. Lord, I want to make a difference for your kingdom today. So, Lord, let me walk hand in hand with you. Just like these scriptures say, one thing I have asked that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, you will remember from last week Uh, We said there's this already but not yet aspect to where there will be a culmination of this communion with God after this life is done. And we look forward to that. But it doesn't have to wait and be a future event. I believe that it is set up so that we can live in the presence of God even while we are still on this earth. And so it's one of those things that we should look for in life. Well, what is the character of a man or a woman who lives in the presence of God? And realize this is not talking about justification. We are justified by one way, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? But once we are justified, there is a life of character that begins to change, and that change points back to our justification. And so if we have truly been justified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our character will begin to change and we will testify that I have been changed forevermore. And we will begin to live a life that honors God. And so Psalm 15 gives us some points to evaluate in our life. And the first one is simply this. The one who enters into the presence of God is the one whose character is true. His character is true. Verse 2, it says, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. The wise man is characterized by the word blameless. He's a man of integrity in his walking. Blameless does not mean that he is a perfect man, but it means that he walks in such a way that he is seeking to please God. It's so simple. In your life, do you seek to please God? In your life, when you make decisions, is it important to you that you please God? In the Bible, when we look at the word blameless, many times it is speaking of a a wholeness. It's speaking of an attitude from the inside out that is living for God and it is not living for self. And I I looked this week and I found there are four men who were called blameless in the Bible. And I want to look at those real quick with you. The first one in the Bible is Noah. It says in Genesis 6 verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, For Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. There's that word, Noah is blameless. And so I begin to think, what is it that made Noah blameless? I mean, if you think about Noah, what is different about Noah? Well, the Bible says he walked with God. He walked in the presence, in this communion with God. 
But we also see in chapter 6, verse 5, that the Lord looked and he saw the wickedness of man and it was great in the earth. And the Bible says that every intention of the thoughts of man was on evil continually. And so I believe to be blameless means that you are counter-cultural. It means that you are not like everybody else. You cannot live a blameless life and look like everyone else around you. To be blameless in life means that I will be distinct in the way that I carry myself. If you're working and you've got a job, there ought to be a difference in you than everybody else that you work with. There ought to be a difference in your character. For our kids who are going to school, there ought to be a difference in them than everybody else that they go to school with. If we are trying to please God, if we are trying to walk with God, we will not be like everybody else is. And I'm just going to be honest with you, that's tough sometimes. Culture drags us. Culture pulls us in. And we can buy into this false lie that as long as I'm like everybody else, as long as I'm even like everybody else in the church, then I'm okay. But there may be some things that everybody else is doing, even in the church, that does not bring honor and glory to God. And so we read about Noah, and we see that he was distinct. He was set apart, and so he brought salvation to humanity. But we also see someone else. We see that Abraham was a man who was called blameless. Genesis 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And in this context, he's making his, his covenant, his promise that he will be the father of the multitudes like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He says, I'll do this if you will walk and you will be blameless. Well, we look at Abraham and we see there's something about him too. Noah was distinct. I believe what Abraham is, is a man of great faith. When I think about Abraham, what I, what I see is a man of great faith. The reason is, is because he was promised this son. And if you remember about Abraham, his whole life, what he longed for more than anything else was to have this son to carry out his, his name. And so he was finally blessed with this son. Finally, everything came to be. Everything was set up right. And then God came and gave this very simple statement. Abraham, take your son, the only son, the one that you love so much. Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Now, I know we've read that a lot, but can you just imagine? I mean, can you just stop and think about that? The Lord came to me and said, Case, this, this son that you've waited for for so long, and I blessed you with him, and you know it was only from me that you got him. Well, now I want you to take your mason or your maddox and go up on the mountain and offer him to me. How would I respond? How, how would you respond? How, how would you take what you love more than anything else, take it from your, your wife, and begin to make that journey and to know what is coming next. But the Bible says that's what Abraham does. And he goes and he, he ties up his son 
You know the story. And he takes that knife and is at the last moment about to take the life of his son. And God provides the offering. And in that moment, what does Abraham prove? He proves faith. He proves faith. He proves faith. He proves that nothing matters to me as much as God matters to me. And I think if we're going to be men and women who are characterized as blameless, it means that we've got to be men and women of faith who put God above everything else. And I believe, again, that is very much, much against culture. Even in Christianity, what do we do? We just put God somewhere towards the top, right? I'm going to put God somewhere up with my family, somewhere up with my hobbies, somewhere up with my job. And as long as God's somewhere in the top, and I go to church a few times, and I give a little bit of money, then I'm going to be okay. But the Bible says a man that is blameless is a man of faith, a man that puts God above all else. Well, another one we see is, is David. In the Bible, 1 Kings 9, 4, it says, And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprighteousness, doing according to all that I've commanded you, and keeping my statutes and rules, and it goes on and it labels him as a man who is blameless. In that context, to be blameless is to be obedient to God, to be faithful <clears throat> to the statutes, to be faithful to the law of God. It means you've got to know his word. It means you've got to meditate on his word. You've got to seek after God and be obedient to him. And lastly, we see, we see Job. Job 1.1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz, and his name was Job, and the man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. What do we, what do we learn from Job? We learn that when you are blameless, you are able to endure the most steep valleys imaginable. Because that's what Job did. He went through the most difficult areas of life. And the Lord says he is blameless. Blameless does not just come in the good times, but it comes in the difficult times as well. <clears throat> now I want you to think about those four examples. Noah, Abraham, David, and Job. What do they all have in common? They're all men. Yeah. I believe, I believe women can be blameless too, okay? Yeah. Our example here is men. Here's what I'm thinking. They all had great faith. They were all living in a purpose, but also they all failed. They all failed in a big way. You remember Noah after the flood? His boys came up and they found him. And what was he? He was drunk and he was naked. Okay? Not good. You remember uh, Abraham? <laughs> Abraham took things into his, his own hands. He slept with his servant because he didn't trust God. Abraham went on and he lied about his wife. I mean, he was a man who had flaws, a man who messed up. David was a man who sinned with Bathsheba. Job was a man who questioned God. He had to go on and repent because he, was, he questioned what God was putting him through. Each of these men who were labeled blameless in the Bible went through times of disobedience and they went through times of failure. And here's my point. You may look at your life and you may say, well, Noah, man, he's an awesome man. Abraham, David, Job, I could never be that. I've already messed up too much. There's no way I could be blameless in my life. But I'm going to say, no, 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 no. You can be blameless starting now. 
Your failures, they do not define you. Your past does not limit you. With God, there is newness every day. And if we will wake up, if we will just rise up in the morning and we will say, today I'm going to be a man or I'm going to be a woman of blamelessness and I'm going to walk with God, I believe the Lord will bless that. It's not that we read the Bible and we see these perfect men and women who had no flaws and they had no issues. They are people just like us who had struggles just like you have and just like I have, but they choose to obey God and to honor God. And that is the same choice that we must make in our lives. The metaphor back in Psalm 15, the metaphor is to walk with God. To walk, it's not talking about a one-time event. It's not talking about a one-time occurrence. It's not talking about being real good on Sunday. It's talking about a lifestyle of walking. Does your life, the way that you live from Monday through Sunday, does it prove that you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's what it means to walk. 2 Corinthians 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Did you get it? The Lord is looking to and fro. He wants to give support to those who want to live a life of blamelessness. In other words, you don't have to do it on your own. Listen to this, Ephesians 1. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In other words, this is it. He says, I am giving you all that you need to live a life that is blameless. Anybody, when you hear that, you just say, I just feel like I can't do it. I mean, you hear about blamelessness and having this faith and having this obedience. I mean, if I'm honest, it's like, I don't know if I can do that. And so what I do is I go in my life and I see some sin and I begin to work on this sin. I've got to to get this lined up. I've got to get this lined up. I've got to get my spiritual disciplines lined up. And so we start trying to work through all these different elements and all these different avenues. But I believe the text says if we'll just run to Jesus... He'll take care of it for us. If we just draw near to the Lord, it reminds me, don't ask my wife this, but occasionally I will wash dishes, right? Maybe that's right. Yep, I see I do. All right, so let's say you just cooked a big casserole, and you got that, that dish, and you know how sometimes you cook stuff, and there's all the gunk in the pan, Okay, and so you take it to the sink, and you're trying to get it clean, and you just, I mean, you're putting all your muscle into it. You are scrubbing, 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 trying to get it as clean as you can, and it's so much work, and it's so much effort. It just seems like it's too much. But if you'll just take that pan, and you'll put it in some hot water, and you'll run some soap in it, and you'll just let it soak for a little while, and then you come the next morning, what happens? You just wipe it right off. You see, I think that's a picture of our spiritual life. There are some areas that we're just trying to work at, and we're trying to say, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and it is exhausting to us because we're not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. But I believe the Bible teaches that if we will just depend on the Holy Spirit, just run to the Holy Spirit, draw near to God, then what we're going to see is sin loses its attraction. And it's a lot easier just to just to wash it off. 
We'll see that our, our priority problem, as we begin to focus on God, those priorities begin just to fall into place. And it's not so much effort, it's not so much work, it's not so much strain, but it begins to come natural when we walk by the Spirit. That's what the New Testament says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There it is, it's so simple. You walk in the Spirit and the desires of the flesh will begin to leave you. Colossians 1 uh, verse 20, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. <clears throat> Jude verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I want you to realize this is all through the Bible. It talks about that as men and women of God, we are to present ourselves blameless <clears throat> and holy before God. And so I wonder, in your life, is that something that you strive for? Do you strive in your life and say, I want to be a man that is blameless and holy before God? Ladies, do you wake up and say, I want to be a, a woman a mama, a daddy, a grandparent who is blameless and holy before God. Now, not only does it say he's blameless, I know we're taking a lot of time here, but it also goes on and it says another step. It says he's blameless and then it says he does what is right. I like that because a lot of times blameless is who you are on the inside and what it leads to is an individual who does what is right. Maybe it's Something to think about it. Tax time. Anybody done your taxes yet? I have. Yay. You do your taxes. And, man, when I was doing, I do mine on TurboTax. And I'm looking at TurboTax, and there's all this different stuff. It would be so easy to manipulate my taxes. Now, I know we've got some finance gurus right here. Follow me, okay? It would be easy to twist some things around. And I would say I could probably do some of these things and never get caught with it. But it wouldn't be right. And you might have areas of your life that you're sitting and you have this decision to make. I can do what is right or I can do what makes my life easier. I, I can do what's right, but it's going to cost me. Or I can do what makes my life easy. And the majority of, of people will do what makes their life easier. What separates us is we are folks who are going to do what's right regardless of what it costs. Uh, do you know somebody in life and you just know, man, they, they're just someone that they're going to do right. That they're going to do what is right in all situations. Their character is more important to them than anything else. That's what we ought to be. Last week, uh, I was eating lunch with, uh, or we were eating supper as a family. And Maddox said they took a test that day, a big test. And he said, Daddy, my teacher was walking around, and she had the, uh, the questions and the right answers as she was walking by. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. I said, did you look? He said, yeah, I looked. And I said, well, what did you see? He said, well, I saw three questions, and I saw the answer to three questions. I said, okay, so what would you do? He said, well, I looked to make sure that I had the right answers. And I said, well, did you have the right answers? He said, I did. And I said, well, Max, what would you have done if you would have had the wrong answers? He said, Daddy, I don't know. Because, Daddy, everybody wants to make 100. And I said, well, baby, yeah. 
I said, but baby, it's more important to be a, I'm teaching what character is, more important to be a man of character than to make a hundred. And so we've we got to learn, and we got to know that too. If, if it costs us a little bit of extra money, if it costs us time, whatever, it, it's worth it to be a man or a woman of character because once you lose your character, you may never get it back. Once you lose your character, it is so hard to get it back. And so this is a man or a woman who is blameless, a man or a woman who does what is right. And so his character, her character is true. Secondly, their words are restrained. Look at the end of verse 2. Psalm 15, verse 2. It says, speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. He takes up reproach against nor takes up reproach against his friends first thing it says is this is one who speaks truth truth is to be firm it is to be a reliable it is to be trustworthy truth means that there is no deception means that when you say something you can take it to the bank this is the way God is described. It's described in John 17 as a true God, the way, the truth, and the life, the spirit of truth. The word of God is called truth. If we're going to be men and women who want to enter into the presence of God, we must be a people who are characterized as truth. I'm not talking about empty, vain flattery. I'm saying when I say something, you ought to be able to take it to the bank. When you say something, when you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. When you give your word on something, you've got to be faithful. You've got to be committed to it. Have you ever had somebody that, that was not uh, distruthful? We know people like that, don't we? And, and when that's true, is it not so hard to respect them? Y'all give me a nod. You're still awake, aren't you? <clears throat> it's hard to respect that, right? I mean, if somebody's not going to be honest, they're not going to be truthful, they're not going to be trustworthy, all of a sudden I've got this red flag going up. As, as believers, we've got to be people who have truth to what we say. We don't just go with whatever everybody wants to hear. And that is so big in our world because people do not want to stand on truth any longer. Did you realize that in the the United Methodist Church, there is a split going on right now because just about half believe that it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle and they want to endorse homosexual clergy and they want to take part in homosexual marriages. But there's another half who say we want to stand on traditional marriage. And here's the deal, they're reading the same Bible that we read. And you've got to ask, where's the truth? You see, here's the problem. They became liberal a long time ago. And when you're liberal, what you do is you look through the Word of God and you begin to pick and choose what you want to believe and what you want to listen to. And then you pick and choose what you think doesn't apply any longer. And once you start on that road, you never quit. Once you start on that road, you begin to say, well, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. And everything goes out the window. For us as believers, there is an absolute standard, there is an absolute truth, and we must stand upon that. And so he says, number one, there's going to be this, this man or this woman who stands on truth. And number two, they're going to avoid slander, and they're going to reject gossip. I heard about these four priests. 
And they got together one day and they said, man, it is tough. People are always coming to us and they're confessing their sins and it's just a burden. And they said, let's do this. Let's confess to each other right here. And they all agreed. And so the first one said, here's my problem. I've got this lady friend and we like to sneak off together and, and it's just not good. And so let me confess that. And the other priest said, okay, we will we'll." pray for you on that one. The next guy said, my problem is I am just a massive gambler. Every time I get money, I gamble it and I try to grow it and it's just a big deal in my life. <clears throat> the other priest said, man, this job has got me so down. I am an alcoholic. I go home and I just go to the bottle every single night. Finally, the fourth priest was there and he was just smiling and they said, well, well, what's yours? And he said, uh-uh, can't say it. <clears throat> and he said, what's yours? And he said, my problem is I'm a gossip, and I cannot wait to get out of this place. <clears throat> I believe that there is, there is not, there's not a whole lot that can destroy a church more than gossip. Gossip and slander. Gossip and slander where you want to just tear people down. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, loose lips sink ships? You heard that? Do you know where it came from? It came from World War II. They were afraid that there were these, these German spies that were getting information. They were getting intel. And so it was a move by the United States government to put out this saying so that people would begin to keep things quiet. Otherwise, loose lips will sink ships. Loose lips will tear people's life up. <clears throat> the word here, slander, it literally means to take away someone's name. You take someone's name, who someone is, their character, and you begin to destroy it. You see, the blameless individual is an individual who has integrity of speech. It says in Proverbs 10, it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers the offense. <clears throat> the blameless will not listen to gossip, is what it says. It says if we're trying to enter into the presence of God, not only will we be one who does not partake in gossip and in slander, but when someone comes to us with gossip or slander, we're going we're gonna to put it all down right quick. We're going to say, no, you don't bring that to me. No, I'm not going to take part in that. I will not be the vehicle of your gossip or of your slander. And it is a chief sin in the church today. What do we say? Hey, let me tell you something to pray for. And then we go into gossip. We should not say things that we do not know are true because we can destroy someone's reputation. Listen to these scriptures. <clears throat> Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. Isn't that a good picture? If we keep feeding the fire, the fire keeps growing. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Ephesians says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Just imagine, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Anybody just say, man, I struggle with that. It's hard for me. It's difficult in life, but the Bible says if we're going to be men and women who enter into the presence of God, we're going to be very careful about what happens in our mouth. 
It goes on, James says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. And then it goes on to talk about how great a forest is set afire by just a, a tiny spark. Listen, the point is this. There is power in your tongue. There is power in the things that you say. That there's power in your voice. So if we're going to be men and women who seek to enter into the presence of God, we will be blameless. We will do what is right. And then we will guard our tongue. Let's close out. Look at it quickly. Verse 4. <clears throat> His allegiance is clear cut. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. It reminds me of uh, uh, Psalm 1. Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of God, and he meditates day and night. The Bible says that for the one who's seeking to enter into the presence of God, he will despise the vile but he will respect the one who fears God. It means that the people you look up to will be those who have character. The people that you want to associate with, the people you want to be friends with in life will be those who honor God and those who glorify God. Let me ask you to close your eyes and just think about this. In your life, in your life, does it matter to you to enter into the presence of God? That's where it starts. It says, who shall sojourn into your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? I, I want to be that. I want to be the one that goes into the presence of God the days of my life. Is that what you want in your life? Are you willing to, to strive to live a life that is blameless? To live a life above reproach? 